Hey, what's up, everyone? Today's show is an interview with Julie Broad from booklaunchers.com. We're talking all about self-publishing. Check it out. In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up? Welcome to Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal branding coach, and today is an interview episode. We are talking about self-publishing. That's right. If you want to figure out how to write a book, promote a book, publish a book, all of that yourself as a self-published author, we are talking about today with the one and only Julie Broad. She is the founder of a self-publishing services firm called Book Launchers. That's right booklaunchers.com. And uh, she herself is an Amazon overall number one bestselling author and knows what it takes to successfully self-publish a book. Her popular YouTube channel, Book Launchers TV, is out there helping people, especially nonfiction authors specifically, write and market books that people want to read. Uh, and I like that she puts out there this hashtag no boring books, right? With the theme of, you know, really making these books worth reading. Uh, her titles herself include uh, a book called More Than Cash Flow, which topped Amazon, another book called The New Brand You, and her latest book from 2021 called Self Publish and Succeed, which has now won 13 different indie publishing awards. She is an expert on writing a book with marketing in mind and teaches those approaches on how to get results, make it impact, and ultimately make more money. She always leaves people inspired, excited, and with clear action steps to take. You'll hear that on today's chat. Uh, you can also have found her. She's been featured in many places. Uh, she speaks all around the country. She's been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur.com, Yahoo Business, CTV, The Toronto Sun, and many more local and national TV shows. She is a Canadian, but lives in the United States. And all that and more is at booklaunchers.com. But today we really dive into all the questions I had about what do you do to get a book off the ground? How do you self-publish? What's important? How do you come up with titles? All of those things. And then some funny questions about audiobooks and how do you convert a podcast into a book or how do you convert a book into a course, things like that, all that we talk about today. So if that sparks your curiosity, I'd encourage you to keep on listening uh, as we jump into the show. Let's go. Brands on Brands. All right, let's get going. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Julie Broad, to the show. Julie, first and foremost, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I'm excited is we get to talk about something that I think is really important, especially for people in the personal branding space, which is how to write, publish, and promote a book. Uh, especially you guys focus on nonfiction books. So we'll talk a lot about that today. But I think this is especially important for someone when like when your reputation can drive your business like working or not working. I think this is huge, but let's start there. Let's like set this up a little bit for everyone. To you as someone who's doing this and helping people with this all the time, what's the value of writing a book? Like, why does it matter? Yeah, I think for somebody that's working on their personal brand or growing a brand, it's interesting because when you go to submit a speaking um, submission, it doesn't say, have you written a book? It says, what books have you written? And, you know, it's like this benchmark, right? If you're going to go on media, so television, news media, they usually want a list of the books and other kind of proof of credentials that you have. A degree is no longer kind of this, you know, the accepted that you're an expert, right? You're not an expert because you've got a degree. You're an expert because you've written a book on the subject. So it's kind of that, that level that you need for a lot of the bigger things that a lot of people want to do as far as media and speaking and other pieces. And it's also that final like credibility that I think you don't get with very many other things, you know, podcasting is great. Blogging is great, but it's still not the same as being the author of the book on. Yeah. I think that that's probably the choice that a lot of people end up making 
first is figuring out, well, let me kind of just start these things that are a little easier to do and maybe they'll build a following even. And I think a lot of people, once they have some of that influence, they maybe stop and say, you know, maybe I don't need the book. Um, With so many things out there to focus on, I'd say, why is this relevant even today? I mean, because I've seen people with influential relationships and no book still get business. So is it just that you want to get booked on TV shows or is it like, is there something else to it? It depends on your bigger picture goals. I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's ever a rule of this is how you have to do it and you have to have a book or, you know, those kind of things, but it is something that makes a really big difference for people who are consulting. You know, I, we've had many clients who've added a zero to their fees, um, you know, which is pretty significant to add a zero to your fees, you know, a year after your book has come out. Um, if you're a speaker and you don't have a book, you're leaving money on the table because your paid contract is there's, there's kind of two contracts. There's the contract that gets you paid for speaking. And then there's a contract plus books and you, you know, 50%, if not more are going to take the contract plus books. And so you've just missed out on all of that money, 50% of the time for those book sales. If you're selling online courses, a book is a tremendous way to feed people into that course. Uh, you know, if it doesn't, you don't have to have it, you know, there's, you can pay for ads, you can do all those kind of things, but a book has such a beautiful long life. It's one of those things where I have a book that I published in 2013 for my real estate training and education company that I owned before book launchers. And it still generates leads for the person who bought the website from me. Um, because the book, I mean, that's, 10 years later, uh, and it's still generating leads. People don't throw books out. They pass them to their friends. They donate them to the libraries and more people read them. Um, and that's something you can't get with an ad that you pay for on Facebook. That, that book has a long life and somebody probably paid you for that book in the first place. So you had monetized marketing that has a massively long shelf life. So, you know, those are just a few of of the powerful reasons, you know, yes, you can have a life and and a business without a book, but it has powerful, you know, kind of gas on a fire type potential if you do it right. Yeah. I think what I've seen is like books can become business cards in a lot of cases. Like I've seen people like that's the way to go. But to your point about it also being a revenue driver, I think that that's huge and not something a lot of people think about at all. They're thinking about how do I get sponsorships or advertisers, but especially if you're speaking, I could see how that could be a a huge asset. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, because you know I know the people who maybe they've already been thinking about creating a book, but maybe the people who haven't, would you say that everyone should write a book or, you know, are there cases where they shouldn't? Yeah. I, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of people who say everybody has a book in them, but that doesn't mean everybody should write a book because I think there are some people who just won't give it the, the energy that it requires to do well. And I do think it's one of those projects where you don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to stress people out, but once you've published a book, it's impossible to unsell the copies of books that have been sold. So if you're not happy with what you've put into the world um, and you want to kind of hit undo, it's not that easy to hit undo. You know, it's not like a blog post that you're not happy with that you delete and now nobody, you know, maybe they use the Wayback Machine, but otherwise they can't get it. Um, And so it's one of those things where I think you want to make sure that if you're doing a book, you're going to put the energy, the, you know, investment because you want to hire professionals to make it edited, you know, to design it and all those pieces. So I think you have to be ready, uh, but I don't necessarily think everybody has to write a book. And I, you know, don't know if everybody has a book in them either. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I could see that. And I, I think maybe it's just sometimes it's not even the right time for someone uh, along the way. I do want to dive into this idea of self-publishing, which is kind of your kind of real focus and expertise. And because I want to ask why, what do you think gets people in the way of getting them started? But I already think it's that, I think it's that there's, it's just so daunting, but let's talk about self-publishing. Like what are the, what is that? I guess let's explain that to people. And then what are the benefits? Yeah. So, I mean, typically there's kind of three ways of publishing, right? There's traditional, which is a publisher gives you a book deal. Sometimes you get an advance, um, which is just an advance against the money that will be made as you sell books. People have, typically in the past anyways, seen that as the ideal. However, what they don't realize is that, especially in nonfiction, the publisher now owns what you have written. And so if, say, for example, a a television production company wants to come along and license your, or even buy your rights to create a television show or a movie or documentary, they're not negotiating with you. They're negotiating with the publisher. 
because this doesn't belong to you. So even if you've put your stories, your life stories into that book, it's not yours to negotiate with anymore. You know, I've had people who have sold courses that have traditionally published that couldn't keep selling the courses under the same name as the book because the publisher owned all of that. So there's a lot of nuances to that. And you actually don't make that much money. <laughs> like 80 cents per book sold is a pretty decent contract. So you could do the math on how little you're making. But again, it's it's always kind of been the traditional path for people. So that's that's typical. There's a middle ground where there's kind of these these companies that act like publishers, but they charge you a fee. And the main advantage of going with them is that they have some bookstore distribution. So if you want some physical bookstore distribution and you don't want to go through a lot of extra hoops, which you have to do when you self-publish, kind of this hybrid, they call it model, might be a good choice for you. You pay them a fee. They, they kind of are a publisher, but they're not it doesn't function as they don't own the rights usually. Um, they do still usually charge a per, fee, per book copy or royalty. There's different contracts. So that's the middle ground. Self-publishing is you're in charge. Um, Self-publishing is you keep all rights, you keep all royalties, but you also have to kind of oversee everything. And then that's where companies like Book Launchers comes in where we kind of act like a publisher so that you don't have to figure out how do I hire a developmental editor? How do I hire a copy editor? Where's a good cover designer? How do I do this metadata research? Like our company oversees all of that, but at the end of it, you're the CEO. So you make all the final decisions. You keep all rights, you keep all royalties, everything's in your name. But if you don't do that, you're hiring all those pieces. You're being the general contractor and kind of doing it. But the advantage is it's your book. And you can do whatever you want with it. You can license off parts of it. You can sell the rights. You can, you know, do courses. You can do television shows and you can keep all of the money in that process too. Yeah. I think I'm a, a huge advocate for anyone trying to protect their intellectual property and, exactly. and be able to monetize it. Cause you never know that that, that first book you write, it might be the one that you just happen to capture the lightning in a bottle that then could really turn into something that you make money off of. And if you give all that away, you know, I've, I've heard people giving that away. Even I hear that with Netflix. Now people like they, they got a Netflix thing, but they just wanted to have that credential and didn't make the money because they were just happy to be, you know, acknowledged. It sounds like a scary thing to have to learn all this, take this on. And even with the help of somebody, there's, it feels like there's so much that you don't like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Uh, let's talk about the beginning phases of this. So when you meet someone who's like, yeah, I kind of like, I have, I've had this idea or, you know, I, I want to finally get this thing done that I've been thinking about. How do you help them kind of take those first steps towards, you know, kind of moving past the fear and getting started? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the big mistakes I think is people go, oh, I want to write a book. And then they sit down and they write it. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you want to think about before you do that. Because um, some people get scared later. Um, you know, they might, some people have the fear of starting, but some people start and then they get scared or they go all the way, but they haven't figured out a lot of the pieces that would have set them up for success. So one of the first things we look at is what's that bigger picture goal? Like, what are you hoping this book achieves? Because book sales are great. Um, but, you know, even if you're selling 10,000 copies of your book, you know, that's a short lived paycheck. Like what's the bigger picture of all of this, you know, that you're doing it for. Um, and then make sure that you understand how the book is going to help with that. And then you want to figure out who your reader is. And you want to do all of this before you start writing so that you have a book that's positioned to achieve your goal, but also so that you have clarity around who your person is. Um, and a lot of people will come to me and say, oh, oh, it's women between the ages of, you know, 30 and 55. And I'm like, no, you're, you're, it's not a demographic and it's not really, you know, you know, you know, your person when you're like, this person is laying awake at night thinking about this, you know, this aspiration or this fear and my book's going to help them with that because, you know, if you can answer that question really clearly, then I think you probably know your reader well enough to start writing your book. A lot of people though have been told they should write a book and they say, you know, people are like, oh, your story is amazing. You should write a book. And they forget that it's, might be about them, but it's not for them. It's for their reader. So those are two pieces that we spend a lot of time on before you ever get to the phase where you're writing a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think goals are, I mean, for anything, I, I work with a lot of content creators and it's the same thing. I think figuring out why you're doing something is, is obviously critical. I'm curious to hear your answer and I can share with you mine. What do you hear as the goal that's usually 
that ends up not being the goal? What's like usually the first goal that's the most obvious, but then it ends up changing half the time? Well, a lot of people want to be a bestseller, right? They, they're like, I want to be a bestseller. And it might be Amazon bestseller, New York Times bestseller, which by the way, you know, self-published and anybody with a small publisher, you're not, it's a curated list. So even if you outsell the number one, you're still not going to be on the New York Times bestselling list. Um, but but they, they want to be a bestseller. And that, you know, that's great. I've, my first book went to number one overall on Amazon. So it outsold Game of Thrones and Dan Brown, you know, that was, that was fun. You know, I'm not going to take away from that, but you know, Ellen didn't call and Oprah didn't call. Like <laughs> Nobody really cared that this self-published book on real estate investing got to number one, really. And so it's, what's more important is that bigger picture objective. And for some people that's impact and they feel like, bestseller means impact, but I always like to kind of understand like, how are you defining impact and how are you defining success? Because if you really, all you care about is bestseller, you can buy it, right? Like there's companies out there that will curate and kind of orchestrate your bestseller status and people pay it, pay for it. So, but for me, it's like, why does the bestseller matter? Well, if it's because you think it means more impact, well, what else can we do that's actually going to drive more impact? Like if you speak at schools, maybe that's actually going to be the impact. We can use the book as a tool to get you into the schools so you can have that impact. So, you know, that's usually, you know, I don't know what your answer was, but that's usually what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, well, stick for that for a second before I get to mine, because I mean, accolades, I think absolutely are what come to mind. Like I want some kind of social proof, right? And the idea of being a bestseller and being able to say that is what I think some people think is a social proof. But it's funny is the social proof is just that it exists, just that it exists and it is that it's in alignment with what your knowledge is, what you your perspective is and the thing that you want to teach people is. I think just that it's being created and that it's an alignment makes sense. So creating a book that's out of alignment with what you want to talk about, what you want to teach, what your ideas are, I think would be completely off goal, even if it did make, you know, a top selling list or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, that I think rings true. But I mean, let's just answer this if they're wondering, like, but how do I get on Oprah? Like, if that's my goal, tell us, Julie, how do, how do I get on Oprah? When you figure it out, let me know. I mean, I, I don't, I can't say we've ever gotten a client on Oprah. Uh, we've got okay. 2020, we've got Good Morning America. You know, we've got, I think Dr. Phil actually wanted to pay one of our clients. Our client actually turned them down. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Oprah, we have not figured that one out. We haven't Man. cracked that nut. All right, guys, we'll work, work, working on it, guys. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll put it on a, a YouTube channel and let you guys know and sell it for a million dollars. <laughs> but okay, so... Yeah. In my line of work, I think what we hear a lot is that the goal tends to be audience, right? It tends like, I want to have a million subscribers or I want to have a million followers or whatever that thing is. And I think that there are so many advantages to creating content in general, which I talked about a little bit. And I think that is what's often overlooked. What have you seen? Because I think what, what probably happens is once they've created one book, now they're thinking about number two and number three. I'd love to hear like what you think are some of the the rewards you've seen or some of the like the changes that you've seen in the people who are out there and they've, they're creating these books. What are some of the things you've heard from them that's like, oh my God, this isn't even what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, I I do some interviews with clients, and the number one thing when I always say like, what surprised you the most after your book came out, the number one thing is always like the the emails that of people they don't know that have read their book and their lives have been positively impacted. Like that's hands down almost universal. The the number one thing that surprises people. But it's been interesting. Like um, we have one client who her channel she has a YouTube channel um, called Kathy Loves Physics, and while she was writing her book, her channel grew by a hundred thousand subscribers and her channel has been around for a while. And it's not to say that the book led to the channel growth, but the content that she was putting on the channel was very similar to the content that she was putting into the book. Um, and so it's like that thought process of getting clarity around what you need to say and who you're telling these stories to. In her case, you know, it's all historical. Her book's called Lightning Tamers about kind of the history behind uh, electricity and all the drama and that kind of thing. And so telling those stories on her channel, her channel just went crazy. And so that's really cool to see. And I think a lot of people underestimate the value of, because it is hard work. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, it's so easy. Write a book today. Um, you know, there's people out there that will say you can write a book fast, and but it's probably not going to be good. But the value of the thought process of, that goes into thinking this through 
you know, people constantly find that it refines their message and that helps their marketing, that helps them talking to their customers, which leads to more sales. Um, and in her case, it was more content for her channel that was really hitting the mark, which also was very encouraging and helped her book launch um, quite nicely too. <laughs> yeah. So what does get in the way? I mean, I think I'm, I bet there's a point where people say, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm curious what you've seen that that catalyst be where people finally take the plunge. Like what's getting in their way and what what's you what have you seen helps them overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I I think everybody has kind of four monsters that hold them back that I call them the monsters. You know, you have your fear of judgment, you have your imposter syndrome, which I think is a really big one. Like a lot of people are looking around going, who am I to write a book? You know, and that to that, I often say, well, if you're looking at your peers thinking you shouldn't write a book, it, those aren't the people you're probably going to write the book for, right? When I published my real estate book, which is the example I always give, I think I had done, uh, I don't remember. I think it was like 12 or no, it was 30 deals. I think at the time, and I didn't own 30 properties. I, think I owned 15 at the time, but I'd done 30 deals. And I was looking around at all these people who'd written books and done hundreds of deals. And I was feeling like this book is not going to matter. Like nobody's going to want to read this book. But I eventually kind of realized that the person who needed my book was trying to get deal one done or they'd done one and it was a disaster. And so if you look at the person that you're writing the book for, they're probably going to relate a lot more to you being closer to where they're at in their journey, but far enough ahead that you can, you know, look back and say, Hey, like there's a big pit right there, like jump over top of that. And Hey, drive around this spot (laughs) and guide them to where they want to go. That I think really helps people get over imposter syndrome. Um, But that's a big, big, big one. I think that stops people from ever starting is like that. Who am I to write this book? Um, But if you think about the person who, or even if it's, kind of similar to your story, like what would you have wanted? Like, would this book have helped you? Um, that often can help with that. Um, and then, you know, fear of success and fear of failure are also uh, big ones for people. They don't always hit at the beginning. They're not always the thing that stops them, but it could be the thing that makes them ask for 45 cover revisions or just never let the book leave layout. And I think, again, if you everything goes back to that person you're writing to have the impact and kind of the bigger picture goals. So the the impact for you on your life, your business, your company, if you have a team, you know, on them, but then also just think about that single person that if you don't ever publish this book, who's going to help them? Like who is going to help them? And a lot of times that can help you get over that hump and and get to where you want to go. So if you can't get excited enough about what it's going to do for you, get excited about what it's going to do for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that is that all four monsters? Yeah. The fear of failure, fear of success, imposter syndrome, and fear of judgment. And the yeah. fear of judgment too is one of those things where I think it's kind of like when you step on a stage, if you're looking at everybody and trying to make everybody in the room like you, you're going to be terrified. But if you just find that one person in the audience that you're like, I'm going to help you today, um, it helps kind of keep the fear of judgment at bay. And, and it, again, it goes back to that reader. Yeah. I, I have so many questions about this, but I'm going to start with some easy ones because people are like, well, how long does this really take? Is it two years? Is it one year? Is it all dependent on how fast and how slow I am? Like, let's talk about the timing of this and the effort. Yeah. I mean, really, it it truly does vary. Um, We have clients who work with writers and typically the process is a little more predictable when you work with a, a, you know, a professional writer. So most of those folks are launching their book within 12 months and occasionally it's a bit faster. And if they, you know, ask for 42 cover revisions, well, then we're looking at, you know, 15 months, but if you're writing it yourself, it can be, it can take you a year to write it. Um, We've had clients write it in 12 weeks. We have a course actually where we help people write it in 12 weeks. Um, But then, you know, the thing is when you write a book really fast, what you find is your editing is going to take longer um, because, you know, you wrote, you got the content out, but now that content needs a lot of refinement and polishing to make it really great for the reader to go through. And so for them, you're probably looking at a year and a half total from, you know, start to launch the book. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, you know, it's a nine month project at the minimum in order to get it written, you know, get a really good couple rounds of editing in and design. And that's dedicating about two to five hours most weeks. Um, if you have a lot more time, you can go a little faster, but you're still going to have a certain timeline because you need professionals that are going to dig into your book and go through it at various points. Yeah. And if you guys want to know more about this, just because I know people are like, I'm curious though. I'm curious. Definitely go to booklaunchers.com and check out everything there. Julie has written a book on 
how yeah. to self-publish. It's called Self-Publish and Succeed, the no boring books way to writing a nonfiction book that sells. That came out in 2021. Julie, I want to tell you, I, I like how you've set up the book. I haven't gone through the whole thing yet, but how, when I interview people who've written books, I'll, I love going to Amazon, looking through the, you know, dive into the book and it shows me the initial pages. And I love looking at the chapters and the sub chapters, just the names, yeah. how, because half the time I can actually pretty much know 80% of the book just by looking at how they title things and using my imagination. Cause it's like, Oh, how do you know, be a photographer? And it's like, here, here are the chapter names. Step one, buy the right camera. Step two, you know, it's like, find the yeah. right environment, learn lighting. I'm like, okay. So I have a sense for it for your book. I was really kind of intrigued because the chapters themselves are titled like I would title YouTube videos to really <laughs> grab people's attention. So I think you really stuck to the no boring books mantra because all of them were enticing. And I, I want to know more about, and I'll give you some examples, guys, uh, some of the chapters such as ghost hunting your way to a book or the unexpected problem with book editors or the reader only cares about one person and it's not you like things like that uh, really pulled me in. But here's one that I want to know just because we are friends. I hope you will indulge me, Julie chapter 11, 20 pages can make or break your sale. What does that mean? I need to know what this chapter is about. I promise I'm going to buy this book after the call. What is this all about? Yeah. Well, you've actually kind of just alluded to why the first 20 pages are so important. So Amazon has the look inside feature. And a lot of people will do exactly what you did, which is browse those first 20 pages. A lot of people waste those first 20 pages. They'll write a really self-focused introduction. that's like meandering about what, you know, how they were walking in the forest one day and inspiration struck. Nobody cares. They want to know why they should read this book. And if you're going to solve the problem that they have, that this has got them clicking on it. And so you want, you want everything that's in those first pages to sell your book and your chapter titles, which is beautiful. Like you've, you've exactly kind of identified something that I think is really important, which is those chapter titles are often the final decision maker because people go, have I read all the stuff in this book before? And they use the chapter titles to determine whether it's going to be worth their time. It's not about the money, right? Books are less than 20 bucks. People aren't usually deciding whether they're going to put 20 bucks in. They're deciding whether they want to put their time in, whether they want another book on their Kindle or on their bookshelf. And if you don't use every chapter title to sell your book, you're missing out. And I, I approach everything in the first 20 pages of your book as, is this going to sell my book? Even your dedication, does it kind of make, you know, somebody, does somebody want to spend eight hours with the person who wrote this dedication? Um, you know, think about the Oscar speeches, right? <laughs> you know, you get, you get to kind of get a sense of somebody's personality from these things. So, so that is the essence of what those first 20 pages is. <laughs> I feel like I got so set up and that was not on purpose. I was I know, very, <laughs> very meta. That that happened. I, that was, I was not planning on that. I thought it was some mystical, like 20 pages you throw towards the middle or end. That's like, and don't forget to go to my website. And it's really, it was like, oh, you were reading my first 20 pages and you got intrigued about it. Very meta of you. And I'm glad that we went through that. Cause I think that's super interesting. I think you can apply that to book writing, but it's a lot of things that like, what are, what's the first 10, 20%, 5%, whatever it is, the thing that people see first, that's going to make them want more. That's going to like give them enough to say, this is exactly what I'm looking for, but also it's not something I've heard before. And I might need this in my life. I think that that's, that I haven't seen that applied like this. And I think that that's brilliant. I appreciate uh, you, you diving into that with me a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. We get lucky sometimes over here. So let's, let's kind of ask a, what I would call a kind of basic Brandon question, which is going to be just what makes a book good? So we don't like waste our time with this stuff. Like what makes a book good? I don't want the waste reader's time. I don't want to waste my time. I know you call it hashtag no boring books. So like, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. So there's a few parts to it. And the first we've already touched on, which is that you've written it for a reader with a very specific kind of intention. So even if it's a memoir, there's still an intention for the reader. Like when they're done reading this memoir, if they now are going to feel hope or inspired, like let's get a little more specific. Like what does that hope and that inspiration do in their life? Like what's different now that they've experienced it? Um, because when you focus on the reader as you write, you'll make it a lot more interesting. 
And that's really, really important. Um, and that's, that's kind of fundamental. And if you don't have something that is even a little bit different, we call it a hook, um, you know, than all the other books, because there's inevitably probably thousands of books in the same category that you're going to write about. But what makes you that person that's going to share something slightly different um, for that reader? So, you know, if you're kind of going, well, I don't have anything, think about, you know, what do people always ask you questions about? What do you believe that's just a little bit different than everybody else in your industry? You know, kind of where are you a little contrarian or where is kind of that accepted? You know, everybody believes this, but it, you know, you don't necessarily think that that's the same. You don't have it the same lens on that item. And it doesn't have to be major, but you just need something a little bit different to hook people in and make it interesting so that it doesn't read like something else that, you know, that they've read. Because somebody's probably read other books about this subject that you're writing about inevitably. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing is kind of what we've already discussed, which is kind of hook them back in to the book at many places, because it's not enough to get somebody to buy the book. You want them to read it. And, and so, you know, a lot of people like me, um, I skim, I, I like read and I'm like, I'll skim and I'll find something. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So if you're constantly with your chapter titles, how you start the chapter, how you have subheadings, if you're constantly hooking them back in, they won't be able to put your book down. They will have to, even if they skim one section, they'll keep going and then they'll read the next section and the next section. And a lot of people kind of fail to apply this simple copywriting technique of, you know, opening loops and then closing them and opening some other ones and closing them. And writing that way. So, so those are some things that I think are really, really important to make a book, you know, a much better read, even if it's nonfiction, sharing a ton of content. <laughs> yeah, that, that really I, I sounds so true to how I actually read a book these days. I think I used to, you know, back in the day, read from cover to cover and, but it was mostly nonfiction or not mostly fiction uh, because you had to, but now that I read so many more like business books and self-help books and things like that, I do read them differently. I covered it, if I read cover to cover, I would fall asleep and I wouldn't really get through it. But now with, you know, I read everything digitally on my phone or on my my computer screen. And I do jump around because half the time I need help with like one topic that's in the book. And I jump straight to that. I see what's in it. And that sometimes sends me backwards then to want to know more about some setup to that. I do jump all over the place. That is so true to actually what's happening. I can't imagine I'm the only one that that's reading like that these days. No, I mean, that's how I read too. And I read a ton of books as well. So I think, and there are going to be people that read from cover to cover. Um, and, but if you've written your book, well, that your goal, you've already addressed that. So it's kind of like all those other people you want to address them and keep them coming back and hooking them back in to finish your book. Yeah. And I mean, the order of operation should make sense because like, I would imagine if I'm even trying to skim, I'm like, okay, well, I want to get past the beginning stuff. And then I know it's going to be somewhere in the middle or at the end, the thing I'm looking for, then that would just make sense. Let's talk a little bit about book titles for a second. Do they all need to have curse words in them these days? Is that like what's happening in books now? Like what is going on with book titles? Yeah, I mean, preferably you don't. I know it seems trendy and a lot of people get excited about it, but it is such a pain in the butt. Like you can't run ads. You can't like, oh, we, we've had clients that insist on doing it. And, and it becomes a whole, you know, jumping dance of, of who can we publish this with and who can we run ads with and how do you promote it? And some podcasters will not have you on their podcast if you have a swear word in your title because they don't want anything to do with it. Um, and some media will not, you know, they'll never show your book on television if it's got a swear word on it you know, so there's, everybody goes, yeah, but Mark Manson did so well. And I'm like, Mark Manson had a giant following when his book came out. You have 500 people you know, on your newsletter list. It's not the same. Um, so yeah, it's better not to, I mean, if you're really, you know, really focused on it, you really, you know, passionate about it, you can do it, but you're limiting some of the things that you're going to allow yourself to be able to do. Yeah. And that was a little tongue in cheek, but I, I, I'm going to throw a couple, just some random things at you. So yeah. how do you feel about the uh, and this is your perspective, right? Everyone's got their own thing that they'll do yeah. what they want. So like the using just very colloquial phrases as your book. So for me, it would be like, uh, I'd, my book would be, dude, where's your brand? You know, or, or like, bro, tuck in your shirt, right? Like <laughs> something like that. How do you feel about those? That's great. If you're addressing a certain type of guy in your audience and that that's who your audience is do it because the title has to speak to the reader. Like that's the, it doesn't matter if you like it really, it re all that really matters is, is your reader going to go, that book's for me. 
Um, and so if, if your title does that, it's easy for them to say, it's easy for them to remember, they can spell it, uh, you know, and there isn't another popular book out there that already has that same title because um, everybody can have the same book titles unless it's a trademark, like Freakonomics is a trademark title. So you can't do that. But most book titles are not copy. You, you can't trademark them. They, they can't be copyright protected. So, um, so yeah, you could do it. And if that speaks to your reader, you know, I think it's great. Yeah, I think I guess that is what I'm trying to get to the heart of because I guess if it has to speak to your reader versus because the other end of the spectrum would be very search engine optimization based. Like I want to be the guy known for, uh, you know, personal branding. I think it's something we've had in common. You've written a book on that. Mm-hmm. So like you have to use the word personal branding in the title. Like, yeah, that's the other end of the spectrum. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you do. I mean, we use we usually leverage subtitles for the keywords. So, you know personal brand would be something I would probably put in the subtitle, um, you know, kind of even calling out who your reader is, I would potentially put in the subtitle. So search engine op- optimization is, is important. And we do a lot of research, especially for Amazon and Google um, for keywords, but we don't necessarily focus on that for the title because the title does really need to be easy to say, easy to remember, um, you know, something that speaks to your reader. So they're, they're going to know at least what category or what kind of book it is when you say the title, you know, something, something kind of weird, like I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, I love lamp. What category does that book fall in? Who's that yeah. for? Shout out to all the Anchorman fans out there. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If it's not about Anchorman, I don't know what that book would be about. So. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's get personal for a second. So, you know, your book self-published and self-published and succeed, it could have been called no boring books or something like that. And then, you know, self-publish your way to success. Why did you pick something that was right there in the title? Um, It had alliteration. It's simple. It's easy to spell. You know, it wasn't about search engine optimization. It was about kind of hitting that three word or less title that was easy to say, easy to remember, told you what it was about. Um, And alliteration is great. Like if you can get alliteration in your titles, that really makes it memorable for everyone. Um, my, My second book, the personal brand book, the title was a disaster. It's called The New Brand You. And there's actually somebody else coming out with a book right now called The New Brand You. And I feel like writing them, telling them like, you're making a mistake. Um, because what I found was I did, I don't know, like 50, 50 or so podcasts, like specifically to promote the book and probably 45 of the podcasters, many who were actually holding a copy of the book in their hands called it the brand new you. And so if, if you've got a book title that just doesn't register in people's brain for whatever reason, it's a bad title. And when you search the brand new you, um, sorry, now I'm getting them both the mix in my head. But when you search um, the wrong title, Dory Clark's branding books come up, not mine. So I probably sold some of her books in the process <laughs> of my, my promotion. So the title has to be memorable and easy to say for people. And if you, I now test all the titles, so I'm like, I tell somebody the title and a little bit later I say, do you remember the book title? And if they can't, if they stumble on it and I do that again and a few people stumble, that's not a good title. <laughs> uh. See all the, there's so many, there's so many things in alignment between your world and mine, because in the podcasting space that happened to me in the website space that happened to me, the show used to be called for those that are newer listeners, uh, it used to be, it used to be called Brandon brands. And I actually, I take that back. The website was called Brandon brands. And then just to throw them a loop, I called the show brands on brands on brands <laughs> three times. Yeah. And I had both URLs owned and whatever else. And man, did that, that just cause enough confusion because everyone thought that the website was brands on brands and that the show was called brands on brands. And they even thought my last name was brands. It just, it, it created a lot of confusion. Oh, yeah. And eventually I just changed it all to brands on brands because I was like, well, that's what people were saying anyway. Yeah. And then now I get the comments. There's no confusion anymore, but I get the comments. You know what would have been great? You should have called it Brandon Brands. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, I tried, man. I tried. It didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, do you have a just a running list of like future book titles that it's like an unending list of things? Or have you now gotten so far into the matrix that like you're like, I don't do that. I don't make that mistake anymore. Like, what is that like for you? 
I, I, I have a little bit of a URL addiction. So whenever yeah, I think same thing. something, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's a cool URL. And so I have a whole bunch. And when I'm, I'm working on a new book now on book marketing and I've gone through my URLs and I'm like, are there any good URLs here that might make a good title? Um, so, so yeah, I don't necessarily have a burning book title list, but I do, as soon as I think of something, I think maybe someday that'll be a product or a book or a business or something. I go and I buy the URL. So I have way too many URLs. <laughs> uh, I have that too, but now I've started a book list as well, uh, like a future book list. And That's just awesome. every time I, a title hits me, you know, whatever it is, I write it down. But is that helpful or does that actually get in the way? Should I not even be thinking about book titles until I've actually figured out what I'm trying to write? I mean, I have clients that, that have not been able to write their book until they get the title. Now, that said, the title probably changes by the time the book is written. So, you know, I think the, the, more, the more dangerous thing is to fall in love with the title. And to be really hung up on a title, because I, there's lots of things that can happen when you write the book. And at the end of the day, you know, it's more important as my, I learned from my second book, it's more important to have a title that is going to speak to that reader and be memorable and easy to say, and really identify like who, who this book is for and why they're going to want to read it. And if your title doesn't do that after you've written the book, because as you write the book, you may find the concept evolves or it actually becomes a slightly different book than what you thought it would be. Um, you know, being in love with the title can really hinder your ability to pivot or make adjustments as needed. But I think having titles that get you excited can be the thing. Like I've had, I've had authors who've written books because they were pumped about this title. It almost never ends up being the actual title of the book, but it got the book written. So. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell, I'll give, I'll give one up for you. The, uh, when I, when I just started out and I was trying to build all these things, I wanted everything connected to the word brand and, and brand on, right? Because it's just, it was the simplest thing I could think of. And I was like, this is great. So I had a book. I was like, oh, I'm going to call it brand on, brand off. And like, I can fit anything into that book. Yeah. And, you know, so I like I actually paid someone, you know, because there's a lot of, everyone will take, everyone's out there to take your money, right? Uh, and all they were just like, oh, we'll sell you a book cover. Like, here's our book cover people. So I bought a book cover and never made the book. And that was a, you know, I think a, a learning exercise for me, but, and maybe I'll make the book someday. Who knows? And maybe it'll be like book four. <laughs> so be buyer beware out there for you guys on that one. I do want to switch gears. Cause I have, I just, so many, so many random questions that I know only I will ask that no one else is going to be thinking of for my podcaster friends out there. You guys have, uh, anyone who goes to booklaunchers.com, there are some unique services that I haven't seen other people create, which are things like how to like turn your podcast into a book or how to turn your book into a course and like things like that or vice versa. I forget which one it is. I love that you guys think like that and you actually help and provide services that get there as opposed to just, we build books, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really how people are thinking these days. How do I take the effort of one thing and like use it to create lots of things. So I don't have to just start over and over and over again. I'm curious what success you've seen kind of in that space. Like with every, which one of those ideas you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, well, we're talking podcasting, so we can start there. So it's, it's been interesting because we find that podcasters often write really great books, but they come to us thinking that they're going to take transcripts of their podcast episode, put them together, and it's going to become a book. Now there are people who can turn books into that, but because we're very focused on creating a book that is not boring and that a reader is going to want, that's going to be marketable at the end. We often find that that, that process is not going to work. So what we do first is we focus on, okay, who's the, you know, exactly what we talked about, who's the book for, what's your goal. And then what's that hook of the book? Like what's the outcome of the outcome for the reader so that we've got that through line, the spine of the book. And then we look at the content and we go, okay, what pieces of that content make sense to fit here? And we take the transcripts over and we kind of massage them in. There's always gaps. Like if you're doing this right, you probably have not covered all of the pieces in between and, and you still have to write transitions and those kind of things anyways. But it's better than starting from nothing. Um, but it is a different process than just saying, oh, here's my 12 episodes, turn them into a book um, because we're crafting the book and then pulling from the content that way. That's very successful. You know, we've had quite a few authors do well there, but it's not a, it's not as simple as they think it's going to be when they come in. Oh, um, that's, that's really disappointing to hear. I just, wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to give you my transcripts and be done. <laughs> um, courses though, courses 
do translate over. We do, we, our, our, our service that we have turns books into courses because books, you know, are wonderful. You know, a book is designed to be consumed and a course is designed to have people take action and kind of make that transformation. And so, but the content is still the backbone of it, but courses can translate really well into books um, because generally speaking, they're in a kind of format and they have a hook. They have an outcome of an outcome for somebody um, if it's a course that's selling. So the difference though, is that your course is probably fairly, um, I don't want to say boring, but it's, you know, you're just kind of saying, Hey, go do this. Here's what you need to do. And it's very information exchange. So the book needs the course content. It translates a lot more, but you need to add some more personality and stories to it to have it be a really strong book as well. But yeah, they all go hand in hand and the content, like you said, you've done the hard work of thinking and creating this content. And it has so many uses and purposes and repurposing. And people say, Oh, well, if they read my book, they want to buy my course. And that is just not true. I mean, you've got Oren Klaff's uh, book there. I, with his first book, Pitch Anything, I love that book so much. I bought his course. His course, he had a course that came out like two years after the book. I bought the course and the course was identical to the book, but I didn't care because I loved the book so much. I went through the course and then there was some support. There was some access to Orin. He had some calls with him. It was, it was worth every penny. Um, and I'd do it again. <laughs> so yeah, it's for that. If you've got that clear outcome of an outcome, it can just go everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Oren's been on the show. His book, uh, Flip the Script is his newer one and, and Pitch Anything mm-hmm. was his original one that like brought him to, to fame. Uh, if you guys haven't read either of those, they are, you know, I think they are necessary reading for people yeah. who are, especially in the game of, of sales, uh, and persuasion. So, um, yeah, I love that guy. And then, uh, what's interesting too, is there's, I think there are all these, like if you're creating content in the education kind of space, you're a mentor, you're a coach, there's so many of these things that just work really well together and, you know, being able to leverage them across platforms. I think it's like a snowball effect, right? Like you've already done one thing, like let's now turn it. Like I turned my podcast, I created a podcast and then I realized I wanted to then divide it into seasons. And then the seasons I'm like, I'm organizing this as if I'm writing a book in my head. Mm-hmm. And I actually said, you know what? I'm going to turn this season into a course first. So I created a season-based, not into a course, yeah, into a course, an online course. So I turned a season into a course, but then to your point, once I got it in there and I I realized, okay, now what do I have to change to make this actually work as a course? Because it didn't just work by itself. It's not just like listening to podcasts. It'll actually take pieces into bite size and, you know, instead of it half hour long, it's like three minutes. What's this step? And what's this step? And then you had to add all these, you know, like downloadable guides and things. And then after that, you had to say, okay, well, are there things missing from the step-by-step that I didn't add because it didn't make sense conversationally? So there was definitely a piece to that where you have to say, okay, what makes sense in the new format? Um, yeah. But all the, it was easier because all the knowledge was there. I didn't have to start from scratch. So I think there's some synergy there for sure. Yeah. It works for talks too. So, you know, if you've got, and that's also, you know, something I recommend when think people are thinking of chapter titles is I'm like, think about it as a talk. Like if you were going to get up and do a 40 minute talk, what would your talk title be? Uh, and you know, what would you have to say in that talk to communicate it? And it goes the other way, right? You have chapters that probably will be a great talk topic. My um, book, the new, the new brand you now I'm going to keep calling it the brand new you because <laughs> I was told the story now it's in my head, but I had a chapter title called you are who Google says you are. And that was pretty much the only thing that worked with that book. And I sold a lot of books giving talks um, on that subject to various groups and organizations uh, because everybody's like, well, my, my people need to know that like they're being judged by their Google results. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great, it was a great little feed in. And, and I just took the chapter content and turned it into a talk and a workshop. You never know. I mean, it's like, well, in Orin class book, here's this one chapter called plain vanilla and it stood out so much to me that I always use it in examples and I help, I use it in something I teach other people. There's, you never know what that nugget's going to be, but yeah. when you take those steps to actually break these things out into like bite-sized pieces, you might find some new revelation to your point that you could use in another way. That's, that's amazing. Another random question as we're kind of coming towards the end here, because I just want to know, would you ever recommend an audiobook only without a book? Because for a podcaster, you're like, that seems like a temptation right there. 
Yeah. I mean, so that's an interesting question because audio is growing rapidly. And, you know, for the first time at the end of 2022, I kind of did my, you know, kind of looking forward to 2023. And I said, not doing an audio book is a mistake in 2023. And it's the first time I've kind of said that particular statement. That said, you know, we're still seeing even the books that are selling incredibly well in audio, it's only 40% of their overall book sales. So yes, you could have an audio only. And there's certainly, you know, Audible has been buying some people's uh, or or kind of paying people to do audio first or audio only books. Um, So they're testing it too. But I feel like you're missing out if you, if you skip it, because there still is that chunk of people who wants that physical book. And there's the people who like me, I actually do audio and Kindle at the same time. So I switch because when I'm driving, I listen to the audio book, but when I'm at home, it's usually before bed. Ed, I'm reading, you know, trying to get 15 minutes of reading in and I'm doing that on my Kindle. So I, but I don't like to have four books going at the same time. I want to finish each book. So I switch between both. So you'd probably be missing out on somebody like me because I wouldn't want to do an audio only unless I was really compelled to learn that subject. Yeah. I guess you wouldn't have that asset to like physically distribute exactly. and all those advantages as well. But mm-hmm. if it gets you started, you know, like do what you got to do. And I mean, that's the thing like, there's no right answer to anything. Sure. And my answer to everybody is like, well, test it. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's like, you might, you could just call it like a gated podcast right now. You can subscribe for like separate episodes, just experiment with that as its own book and see like what sells better. Maybe Amazon's going to do you a favor because they need more results in their search engine for Kindle books. I don't know. Check it out. Let me know like comment on this episode. Let me know if, it, if it's something you'd be curious about trying. Yeah. This has all been super intriguing to me. I appreciate you sharing that with us today. One last question to kind of wrap us up here. Just in general, what are you most excited about overall? It could be in this business or just with you? Well, with me, I'm, I'm excited to get my immigration sorted out, but that's a whole different, uh, different story because uh, I'm a Canadian living in Las Vegas right now. But going forward, I mean, I am actually really excited about audiobooks like we just talked about. I'm, you know, it's, it's growth in an otherwise fairly, you know, books don't change a lot year over year, like a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit up. Um, but audiobooks are growing. Sound um, Spotify is in the audiobook space now, which I think is really exciting. Um, so I'm pumped about that AI coming in. Uh, you know, I think there's some really cool opportunities to drive some of the costs down to have some more creativity. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the fear that AI is going to replace humans in this space anytime soon, but I do think there's going to be some cool opportunities and there already are, um, you know, in book covers and something like some things like that for AI to contribute and reduce costs and make it easier. So those are some of the things I'm excited about, but, you know, typical entrepreneur, I have a long list of things I'm excited about. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I appreciate again, you sharing all of your, your knowledge and insight and perspective with us today. And if you guys want to hear more that the website that we talked about today is booklaunchers.com. Pretty easy to find everything about Julie, her company, and how they help people. Uh, her books are listed there, courses, ways to work with her. All the things are, are listed there. And uh, go check it out and get that book out there. Get that idea out of your head. Give yourself another branding asset to add to your tool belt. Thanks for spending time with us today, Julie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening. As always, continue to tune in. We'll keep bringing you the tips, the tricks, and all these little deep dive questions that pull these little nuggets of insight out for you to implement in your business. And uh, as always, we will catch you next time. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to BrandsOnBrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit BrandsOnBrands.com.